0: God is dead, and we have killed him. This was the uh, famous conclusion of the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who saw that human society was on a trajectory away from religion and morality, and he thought that we were all the better for it. In fact, he longed for humanity to go back to the good old days before mankind grew ashamed of its cruelty, because life on earth then was more cheerful than it is now. Now, he was talking about the days before Christianity was the dominant uh, idea in the world, when the Greeks and the Romans exerted cruel but very efficient power over the weak, And they did that largely for their own gain and pleasure. I wonder if God is dead to you. I doubt you've gone to the lengths that uh, Nietzsche did writing so much about rejecting God. But I'm sure you've had uh, moments where you've decided to just do whatever you wanted, and he didn't give a hoot about what anyone thought. You just wanted to live it up, and to hell with right and wrong. I don't care if others get hurt. I only want to live a little. No one's watching, especially not God. And if he is, I don't care, because God, you're dead to me. If you've ever felt that, even just for a fleeting moment when you've punched something into Google that you shouldn't have... Or maybe it's your go to attitude when things aren't going your way, you just jump on your mountain bike and get out of there. Whether you've said, Get stuffed God out loud, or you've just never even given him the time of day to think about him, well, then the younger brother portion of the prodigal God story is for you Father, give me my share of the estate. This is the first thing that this younger son uh, says in the story, and what a bold line it is. I mean, he's not wrong. He he does have a share of his father's estate coming to him eventually when his father passes away. In Jesus' day, uh, the way inheritances worked was that the uh, first and second-born sons stood to gain uh, something from the father. The eldest son would get two-thirds of the father's possessions in the will, And the remaining third would go to the second son. So this younger brother is due a third of the estate. But like every other inheritance ever, you only get it after the father dies. And so this son is effectively saying, Dad, I want you dead because I want your stuff, but you're still alive, so just give me my share. I'll get out of your hair and we'll call it quits. Now, we don't get any of the father's uh, emotions at this point in the story. Just the very methodical response in verse 12, so he divided his property between them. But the father cut up more than just his property here. Luke has used the word uh, bios in the Greek that our Bibles will translate property because there is more to this father's estate than just land and livestock and cash. Because the word bios, if you do biology, it means life. The father's life is bound to his family estate. It's his bios. And so the father is taking a knife to his life and gouging it apart for his younger son. And in that ancient culture, the shame of a son leaving the family business and taking his inheritance with him, that would have cut deep into the life of this father. There would have been shame heaped upon him by the community. But the father doesn't lash out at the son here. He just quietly divides up his life and lets his younger son go. The father holds on to his love for his son, but he also bears the agony of him leaving. Anyway, you're dead to me, Dad. And so the son packs off for a distant country. A distant country. That's that's how little regard this son has for the father. He doesn't even want to be in the same country as him. He doesn't want to accidentally bump into him on the street someday in the future. They are they are done. And so the son travels far away, he goes on a bender, tapping his ancient credit card everywhere, until one day he gets the insufficient funds notification. He's out of cash. He has spent the inheritance entirely. And then the distant country that he is in is thrown into famine. So the younger brother takes a dead end job feeding pigs, but it doesn't pay the bills. The slop that the pigs are getting looks uh, enticing, but he can't even seem to get his hands on that. And so he hatches a plan. He knows that the the father-son relationship is over. You're dead to me, dad, is what he had basically said in taking that inheritance. And so he doesn't hope to be a son again. Instead, he plans to ask his dad to to make him like one of the hired servants. Now, this level of worker would not live on the father's property, but he could earn a basic living, and he wants to begin to kind of pay off his debt to his dad. And so he heads home. But while the father might have been dead to the son, it is clear that to the father, the son was still very much alive in his heart. For while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now we read this and think, oh, isn't that sweet of the dad to wait for him? And it is. But there's something more to this moment. You see, dignified men like this father in the ancient Middle East did not run. These guys wore long robes, they moved slowly amongst their lower workers, they did not exert themselves, it was beneath them to run. In fact, it would be like when all of us staff put on these, you know, very dignified black togas, and uh, we all make you stand up, yeah, okay, and all somber and serious, and You're all standing up, and it's time for me to come in. And instead of uh, Mr. Ingold saying, school, stand, and we all walk in slowly and somberly, I decide that I'm going to enter the gym like this. I bunch up my gown, and I... If I did that, it would ruin the moment. And I hope you remember that every single time we stand up in the future. So imagine how much more embarrassing it would have been for this father to run, his robe going everywhere, his sandal straps flying off, and embrace this son, the very son, who had wished that he was dead. This respectable head of the household should not be seen dead running. But this is just another layer of the depth of this father's love for his son. He has borne the shame of him leaving, and he's happy to shame himself to welcome the son back. Now, the young son, he's taken aback, and so he tries to, to blurt out his compensation plan. Dad, I've, you know, I want to work for you. And he's not worthy to be called a son. But the father just cuts him off and then contradicts him. Look in verse 22, it says, The father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and Celebrate. Here is even more sacrifice from the father. The best robe, who would have owned that? The father would have owned it. The fattened calf, the ring, the sandals, whose were those? The father's. See, the father doesn't want his son to grovel or to wait until his debt is paid off. He just wants his son back. He wants his son back restored to him alive. The son's shabby, pigsty, stinking clothes are covered over with the father's finest rope, and then a feast for everyone to share in. And why? For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You see, not even wishing the father dead was a deed too far for this father to want his son back. This father will bear all the shame, all the betrayal and the cost in himself to have his son restored to him alive. That is the depth and the distance of the father's love. And it is the love that our heavenly father has for us. We know there's another chapter to this story of the jealous elder brother, and we'll get to him next time. But for now, if your attitude to God so far would be like Nietzsche's, you're dead to me, God, well, then please know that you are not dead to him. No matter how angry you've been at the God who you think doesn't exist, please know that your existence beyond the grave matters to him eternally. No matter how much you've ignored him so that you can just treat yourself, know that God has treated himself to the cruelest shame because he just can't ignore you. He loves you. And he does not want to lose you. Know that God has put himself through far more shame than running in a robe. For there was a day when God had his robe stripped from him and his poverty was shamefully exposed to the entire world on a cross. There was a day when God's son was dead to him, that we might be made alive again. This is the cost that you are worth to the father, that you might inherit everything he owns.